Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pin and a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 72, and I am really, really excited to have our guest on this week. It is the Packline legend, Jim Boone, from the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, and uh you know, this is well. This is take two. We had a little, we had a little technical difficulty with take one, but now, now we're ready to roll, aren't we, Coach? Yes, sir. We're excited to be here. Thank you, Marty. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I am, I am super excited to have you on. Uh, like I, uh, I had told you, uh, I got to see you speak about three or four years ago at a coach's clinic down in Kansas City, and was really impressed by your stuff. And and so this is one of those. Uh, I get to check this one off my list of. You know, folks that uh, I didn't think I'd ever have a chance to have a one-on-one conversation with, and I get to do it. And now, you know, everybody gets to hear us talk. So uh, I'm really excited for today as well. So, well, well, thank you. You're you're too kind. I, I appreciate the accolades, but uh, it's just good to talk ball. I enjoy doing that. So it's great to be a part of your. Uh, your podcast and looking forward to it awesome awesome well but before we get going with the official podcast here we of course need to thank our founding sponsor cosac chiropractic located at 140th and maple 144th and maple here in omaha coaches if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues have them go see cosac chiropractic just to make an appointment give them a call at 402-964-0300 just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you follow us on a pen and a uh, twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, so download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can get the word out and gain momentum in the ratings so we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Jim Boone. Head men's basketball coach at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. Uh, coach, I'm pretty familiar with your background. Like I said, the last few years I've really uh, followed your your career uh, much more closely now that I, you know, after I got a chance to see you speak. But uh, for the folks that uh, are not as familiar with you, why don't you uh, take a couple of minutes and, and, and just kind of tell them how a, a guy from West Virginia has ended up in northwestern Arkansas. Well, Marty, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, to be a part of your podcast and to share some of our thoughts uh, on coaching and basketball with your audience. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk ball. That's just um, it's one of the things I enjoy most, uh, to spend time with coaches, whether it be through a podcast at a clinic or just hanging out at a basketball game. Uh, it doesn't get any better than that for me. You know, I... Um, I kind of knew I wanted to be a coach early on. And so I was very fortunate that I was hired to be an assistant at my alma mater. I went to West Virginia State University. At that time, it was West Virginia State College. And uh, was on the basketball team. I was not a great player. I was surrounded with some really good players. And had a chance to, to, to really kind of soak in the game from that perspective. Uh, you know, sometimes I think when we're – you know, I was a pretty good high school player. When you're a good high school player, you're a good college player. Sometimes you don't um, get an opportunity to really soak in some of the nuances of the game. And when you're sitting there on the bench in college and you're seeing great players play and great coaches coach, and I was fortunate to be a part of a conference that had a ton of really good coaches in it, 
when I was playing. So it was really cool just to sit back and, and watch that and learn and why is this coach doing this? Why is he making this decision? And so on and so forth. And make a long story short, uh, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to coach. And so when I became the assistant coach there, Marty, probably wrongly, I wanted <laughs> to be a head coach so bad I couldn't stand it. I yeah. just, yeah. and I think I would have, uh, you know, I would have sold the farm to be a, to be a head coach. And mm-hmm. I was very, just very driven uh, in that regard. I stayed at West Virginia State a, uh, a couple of years as an assistant, had an opportunity to go to a Division One school. And the reason I say this is, you know, sometimes I think, uh, you know, we see today the money coaches make and, you know, they jump from place to place. And it's hard. It's yep. really hard. Uh, you've got to be, you've got to be willing to make sacrifices I was uh, I was a young guy. I was married. Part of my deal with teaching at uh, or coaching at West Virginia State is I was also teaching in the business department. And really, as the truth be known, was ready to go on the tenure track and had an opportunity to make uh, you know teaching in college a uh, a career. Mm-hmm. But again, I said I wanted to coach so bad that I took a job at then Baptist College, now Charleston Southern. For a great guy, Tommy Gaither was our head coach, and I made—I uh, think I made something like six thousand dollars was my salary uh, for the year. I uh, lived in a dorm with my wife. I ate in the cafeteria. We ate all of our meals in the cafeteria, and you know that's just the, the sacrifices you made if you wanted to move up to coaching ranks. And uh-huh. I had an opportunity. Uh, after I'd spent a year or two there to go to California University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And they took a chance on a young guy, um, basically because I had played basketball and coached in the West Virginia Conference and the vice president and the uh, dean of students was very familiar with that league. And mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to take the job, and we took a fledgling program that was very much underfunded, understaffed, under scholarship, under everything. And we turned it into something. And that's one of the things I tell young guys today. Sometimes we uh, try to be a little bit too selective, too picky. Head coaching jobs are really hard to get. And if you have an opportunity to get one, then you need to, uh, you need to take it. Mm -hmm. This is, I've been blessed. I've I've coached at both the division one and two levels. I've coached a lot of great players, obviously great players, uh, make you a good coach um i've been surrounded by outstanding assistant coaches and it's been a it's been a great ride i've really enjoyed it i wouldn't trade one bit of it for anything else i've i've immersed my family into it both my sons my my wife were very much a part of our basketball program and and remain a uh, part of our basketball program today my son is actually my top assistant and you know he played for me Mm-hmm. And as as much fun as it was to coach him, it's been even a greater joy to have him on the coaching staff. I mean, how many of us would love to to work in a situation where we have an opportunity to spend time with with one of our sons uh, every single day? Yeah. And I have that opportunity. So um, we made a choice to leave Delta State. Uh, great great people there. Loved the program. We really had it going. You know, we were coming off a conference championship, 
And the, this opportunity presented itself at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. And number one, I, I, I kind of, I've made a niche, Marty, um, you know, taking jobs that really nobody else wanted, jobs that had problems, jobs mm-hmm. that, that, that were going to be a challenge. Uh-huh. And, and that's been a fun thing for me is to be able to take those programs over and turn them around. And I knew UAFS was going through a very difficult period. Um, and the icing on the cake was I was going to have an opportunity to hire my son as an assistant. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, it was a no brainer yeah. and we've, uh, hit the ground running and, you know, we, uh, went through this COVID years. We all did. And, 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 you know, very challenging, very difficult, but brought in six freshmen and our freshmen have done a tremendous job and we're looking forward to having all of them back as well as, uh, our returners. And, uh, I think the future is very, very bright for us here. Very good. Um, for those of you that uh, heard the the dogs in the background, it is a, a pen and a napkin first. It's so beautiful out today that I couldn't not be inside. But I, you know, we had set this up what about three or four days ago, Coach, and yes. uh, and I'm like, I gotta, uh, we're gonna record this outside. So that was the neighbors' dogs that were barking in the background. So we 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 may hear that a little bit in the background, folks. It, it's just nature calling us as we talk hoops <laughs> on this fine Sunday afternoon. So, well, uh, coach, you you talked about multiple positions. I think by my count, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've been a head coach at six different schools. Um, including two Division One stops uh, along the way, um, there there are there are benefits to uh, being at multiple places. There are drawbacks being at at multiple places. Um, so let's delve into that a little bit. What what have uh, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, you you know you've 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 chosen your your stops. Uh, pretty carefully, and, and, and there's been obviously something that has been appealing at every one of those stops. Uh, but let's start with the uh, let's start with the benefits. What are what are the benefits of kind of reinventing yourself every five to seven ish years, and 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 rebooting that program, or or just starting over at a new place? Well, I, I think first of all, Marty, one of the things that I mentioned early is that we have. Um, we, we've kind of made our niche as in the coaching profession as being able to turn around programs. Mm-hmm. I didn't start that way. Uh, when I was, when I was at California university of Pennsylvania, we were, I, you know, we really got that thing going. I was, I was so blessed, so fortunate. You know, we were, we were the second winningest program in division two basketball over the decade that I was there. Uh-huh. The, the only program that won more games than us was Virginia Union. Uh-huh. We yeah, went to two Final Fours. Pretty yeah, good. Uh, pretty good program. That, that was the days when Virginia Union had had NBA players playing in their program, like Ben Wallace, who we played against actually. But yeah. didn't Charles some, Oakley go there? Your, he did. Oh, he did. All right. And, and uh, you know, some of your listeners will certainly remember those names. Uh-huh. Um, but it, but in any event, I. I, at that point in time in my career, I was really driven to coach at the highest level. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a Division One coach. I wanted to be a major college coach. And, you know, I knew I was doing it the hard way. Uh, 
you know, I didn't have a pedigree. I didn't play at Kentucky or sure. or uh, North Carolina or anywhere. You know, I had to I had to make it on on what we earned. And you know, it was um, it was not until after I had coached uh, nine years at Division One and kind of got rocked a little bit. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, I was at Eastern Michigan. We we had a very difficult situation there. We had met all of our goals. But we had a change in administration. We had a change in president. We had a change in uh, in our board of regents, and so they decided not to renew my contract. Uh-huh. And here, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, um, you know, looking at my two boys, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm not the coach at Eastern Michigan University anymore." And you know, the look in their faces was was painful. But the message here is that I decided, you know what, uh, I love coaching. And I'm not, I'm not giving that up. And it, it, you know, I think we tell our kids this all the time. It's, uh, you know, it's really important that if you get knocked down, you you get back up. And it's not how many times you've you've been knocked down, but how many times you get back up. And so, we decided to go back to Division Two, mm-hmm. and it gave me a chance to really put things in a greater perspective and to refocus and understand. You know, we're not out here chasing, um, you know, the next job. Uh, I would rather, I would rather chase significance and the impact that we can make in young people's lives, and the impact we can make in turning programs around. Something that we've shown that we're really, we're really good at. Mm-hmm. And so we took a we took a Tusculum College job, and then took that to West Virginia Wesleyan that I thought I would never leave. Mm-hmm. It was home. I was two hours from my father's house and thought, you know, I'll, I'll be here. This will be the last stop. And, you know, lo and behold, I got the call to go to Delta State. They had had a situation where, you know, they'd had disciplinary problems. They had had program winning problems and they wanted someone who fit my mo to come in and turn the program around i couldn't say no it was another opportunity to meet that challenge so to answer your question the rewards for me have been the impact that we've made on people's lives the uh, significance we've made at at various universities i think one of the one of the things that is is really cool is whenever you step into a program you never know what you're going to get. You never know. And that's one of the drawbacks because yeah. you, you do all the research in the world you want to. But once yeah. you step in there, you don't know what it's like until you sit behind that desk and you roll your sleeves up. And then you find out the problems that you yeah. you have. And never think that you're leaving one program and its problems to, to go to another one because yeah. everybody has their own set of issues and problems. And that's part of our job is to solve those so that we can move the program forward. But one of the things I think is really exhilarating is when you take over that program and you meet a new group and you inherit them as your own. Because I've, I've always said that, you know, I'm not one of those guys that say, wait till I get my own players. Um, w- once we step in the program, you're part of our family. You're part of us. Mm-hmm. And and we dive in. We dive in with both feet, and I think that you know the the, the days go so fast. Um, there's not enough hours in the day. You're recruiting. You're building relationships. You're 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 building relationships with people on your campus and in your community. Um, 
it just goes 100 miles an hour and it's yep. it, it is it's a lot of i find that a lot of fun and then the second part of that is is to take something that you can have a, uh, a great impact on to mold it to build it to create a culture to see that culture come to fruition and see that program turn the corner into a winning program with integrity and character and that that's that's extremely uh, gratifying. Uh, you know, I think the biggest drawback for us has been if I could go back and do everything again and know everything I have now, I would have stayed at California University of Pennsylvania and I would have coached there my entire career. Uh-huh. And the reason I say that, because one of the drawbacks is, is when you go from one university to another even though our players, and I've been very fortunate that the players we had at Cal PA, the players we had at Eastern Michigan, Robert Morris, Tusculum College, West Virginia Wesleyan, Delta State, all the places we've been, they all feel like they're a part of our family, the Jim Boone family. Uh-huh. And so that's that's really neat. But I think you lose a little bit of that family atmosphere and guys coming back every year to be a part of it. Uh, because they're still going to do that with their university, and they should. But you're at a different spot now, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit difficult to to revel in that. So I think that's one of the things that is a drawback, so to speak, of moving from one place to another. But it's been – I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, I said if I have one thing I would change, that would be it. But I couldn't change it at the time, and none of us have the opportunity to look into the future and see what it holds. I didn't know my perspective would change, and if I would not have given myself an opportunity to coach at the Division One level to see that, yes, we can do it there, uh, then I would have always regretted that. So I have no regrets. I'm, I'm very happy to be where we are mm-hmm. and very happy to, again, be at a, at a great level of Division Two where we're coaching guys that, that really want to be here and earn their degrees. If, if, what, what advice would you give somebody who is, is kind of on that, that fence of, I've been at a place for X amount of years, maybe some things are changing around me, or I feel some things changing, but I'm, I'm nervous to check out something else. Um, you know, you know what? What would you what would you what would you say to somebody who's who's in that kind of spot that, that that you've been in, like you were at with California PA or West Virginia Wesleyan or something like that? Well, that's a great question, and you know it, it's hard for me to give anybody else advice. Um, it's difficult enough for us to <laughs> keep ourselves on the right track, but sure. I do I do think this. I think sometimes we get to a point where we're emotionally spent. Or we realize we've accomplished every single thing that we can possibly accomplish, that we're at the top of the mountain. And even though one of the things I think is the most difficult in our game is to stay at the top of the mountain, and that itself is a challenge. But you get to a point where maybe you've accomplished everything you can do, and change is good. And, you know, sometimes we balk at change, but change is good. As I said, it's very exhilarating to walk into a new place and to to basically build it from scratch mm-hmm. into into what you want it to be. Um, I think that's really exciting. So if you have an opportunity to do that uh, and you feel like that you've done everything you can 
and and you've poured all of your emotions, all of your heart, all of your soul into a program. Sometimes it is good to to change mm-hmm. and really look at rebuilding another yeah uh, another program. Gotcha. Uh, you are very generous uh, with your time, with your knowledge, with your willingness to um, give back to the game and, and to talk to you know pretty much any coach, anybody who's interested, you know, great or small, uh, where does that come from? Where does your passion for, for sharing your coaching philosophy and your love of the game and your knowledge of the game, where does that come from? Um, Marty, again, that's a great question, and I'm really glad you asked. Um, as, as a young coach, I was extremely fortunate to be around guys like uh, Coach Knight, Bob Knight, who was a major influence in my career, Dick Bennett, um, you know Rick Majerus. You know some of the some of the uh, icons of our of our profession. I don't know anybody that in in my age group in my generation that wasn't influenced uh, sure. by Bob Knight. Uh-huh. Um, but the guy that that really uh, made a major impact on my coaching career was Don Meyer. And, uh, oh, coach, uh, can you can, can you hold that one? Yeah. Okay, because we're going to come back to Don Meyer, and I want you to hold, okay. hold those thoughts on Don Meyer. So, um, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. I mean, I meant to interrupt. Oh, but. <laughs> you're, you're, you're good. This is your podcast. I'm here for you. Okay, so but hold those thoughts on Coach Meyer. The opportunity to go back out and uh, and help coaches, uh, I, I, I see this as kind of part of what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. And anything we can do to help coaches in any way, we really, we really uh, enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get back to Coach Meyer here. Trust me, we we will definitely be on that train here in a little bit. Well, uh, when, when we do, we'll allude a little bit back to uh, okay. this question because it really comes to it comes to fruition uh, with Coach Meyer. Okay, awesome. A pen and a napkin will be hosting its first annual high school coaches clinic on Saturday, May the 1st at Fort Calhoun High School, which is just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We will have a variety of speakers on subjects that affect us as high school basketball coaches, along with breakout sessions to have small group discussions to tweak each other's minds to help our coaching community hone their craft. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or check our Twitter handle at a pen and a napkin. Coach, how do you... Uh, you know, I, I, I've watched a lot of your stuff on YouTube. I think I, I'm very confident I've got one or two of your DVDs in, in my collection somewhere. And, and one of the things that I've really noticed with you and your coaching style is, is how you, you push players outside of their comfort zone, but you, you don't lose them. And, and, and I think sometimes, you know, we see more in a kid than they see them in themselves, and we want to push them in that direction. But it's, it's, that's where the, the, the art of coaching comes into play, where you push a kid, but you don't want to lose the kid. Uh, and and, I, and I'm, I think you're really good at that. Uh, you know, what, what, is, what has been kind of your philosophy, your, uh, you know, what have you done to kind of hone that part of your craft where, where you're, you're pushing a kid, you're pushing them out of your comfort zone, but you're not losing that kid. Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I read a tweet this morning that I, I really liked from uh, 
Bob Starkey. And if any of your listeners haven't followed him, he's a great follow. Mm-hmm. Coach Bob Starkey, he's the assistant coach currently at Texas A&M on the women's side. But his tweet was he was rereading some old clinic notes, and he came across a gem from uh, Coach Mike Neighbors, who's a coach at a women's coach at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach Neighbors often quoted his father, and this was a quote from his father saying, "Jesus was the greatest leader to walk the face of the earth, and he couldn't keep twelve guys loyal." <laughs> so it's uh, I, I say that leading into the to talking about your question from the standpoint that it's difficult. It's really difficult because there are so many dynamics that come into play. There are so many outside influences that young people have today. From aside from parents, which is you know, one of the number one influences, uh, in which can be good or bad, yeah. but also with social media, friends, the uh, recruit, recruiting gurus, and now with the uh, environment that we're living in in college basketball, which seems to be if something doesn't go well, then transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become even more difficult. But with that being said, I, I'm glad – it, it makes me feel good that you, you would ask such a question that you have made that observation. It's something that we feel that we are really good at is being able to um, be very demanding upon our players individually and collectively. And I think the key to that is you can be demanding, but you cannot be demeaning. Mm-hmm. It, you cannot make it personal. It cannot you know, and I learned this from Coach Majerus a long time ago. Um, if, if for some reason you have a practice where somebody is corrected a number of times or you've, you've had to be a little harder on a guy uh, for a day, make sure that you uh, grab that guy walking off the floor. Make sure you put your arm around him. I think that's the important thing. You can be demanding if you have relationships, and it starts there. If you don't have relationships and all you try to do is go into practice and be tough, then um, you're, you're not going to make it very far. It's been challenging for all of us this year uh, with COVID to to maintain those relationships. And because they are, it's a constant, never-ending process. You know, it's a little bit like your rose garden. You've constantly got to pay attention to it, take care of it. And uh, that's the same thing with the relationships with your players. I like bringing guys out to my home. I like bringing them um, sometimes in small groups, sometimes individually, sometimes the entire team. I think it's a great way for me to uh, – for them to see me as a normal person and not just a guy that's in coaching them every day. Uh-huh. Um, I love I love grabbing them somewhere else other than my office or the practice floor. You know, maybe it's uh, walking down the hallway. Maybe I uh, intercept them as they're going from one class to another uh, on, on campus, or I have lunch with them in the cafeteria. I think all those things you can do to get to know your guys better. Mm-hmm. And because, as you well know, and your listeners know, you can't coach them all the same. They're all different, and what one guy can can um uh you know maybe handle in terms of being pushed and and out of his comfort zone another young man can and you just you have to be able to understand the differences and those the only way to do that is to know your people yeah yeah i i call him i i uh, i read some stuff on uh tony larusa and as a cubs fan it pains me to give a cardinals <laughs> manager credit 
but uh, you know, I call it a Larusa, where he says, you know, you want to try and connect with a third of your your team every day. Um, it, it just in a, in a, 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 you know, nothing connected with with basketball. Just you know. Uh, how's your, you know, how's the home ec class going? Or, uh, hey, how, you know, like in our situation with high school kids, you know, how's your part-time job going? Hey, we, you know, I heard you got a big project in history class coming up, you know, those type of things. And I just call it a Larusa, and I have a thing on my practice plan. You know, who needs a Larusa today? And uh, uh, like and, that, like that. And uh, it's you really know, just good. That, that's something I try to keep in mind as well. And 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 you know, kind of having meetings without having meetings is is kind of what you're describing. Absolutely, and I think that uh, it, it brings you to another point, and that's that's utilizing the things that our young people utilize today to to communicate with one another. And that's one of the biggest reasons that I got involved in Twitter was to communicate with my players. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those coaches that has kind of went the other way, where a lot of coaches don't like social media and try to stay away from it, and don't want their players on it. Uh, I've tried to embrace it. Uh, I try to use it as a positive. I try to use social media as a way. A lot of the things that I put on Twitter or Instagram are messages that I'm sending to my my team, our players, sometimes Mm -hmm. individually, sometimes collectively. Um, I text them. Now, there's nothing that can take the place of walking up to a young man and putting your hand on his shoulder and looking him eye to eye and speaking with him uh, face to face, but we also need to all you know utilize those other avenues that are now available to communicate with our players. And I try to use those as a positive way to to build our relationships. Yeah, when when I took over my new job here, I call it my new job. I've been there a year now, but that you know I I interviewed right in the middle of COVID, and I didn't get wow. to see my team for a month and a half after I got hired. Wow. And so I got on the Twitter handle and and we created the Twitter handle and from day 1 it was here's my, you know I was communicating through them, you know, or to them through Twitter, the, you know, this these are my expectations. These are our standards. This is the culture we're trying to build and and to share with the public. This is what we're trying to do. And you know, you can you know, you can only zoom so much. You can only text so much. Uh, and but but that was you know I kind of learned how to use Twitter in that regard out of necessity because that was kind of the only way where I could start instilling the thoughts into my players that I wanted to at that time. So it was uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I believe that's the phrase, um, and and that's what we had to do. So that's big time. Yeah, I have I have two questions that have literally nothing to do with basketball coach but I want to ask you. Okay. okay. All right, you ready? Then this is based yes, a lot on your Twitter handle. So it's it's good that we went from Twitter into these two questions. Um first question. What is it like being perhaps the only Baltimore Orioles fan in the entire northwestern Arkansas region? <laughs> uh, lonely. <laughs> Very lonely. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know we uh, we've been through some struggling years. You, you know, can you, say that. You have to go back. Um, you know, when I became a Birds fan, I was a kid living in, in Princeton, West Virginia, and the uh, their AAA team was in Bluefield, which was literally okay. less than thirty minutes away from my home. 
And so my dad would take me to uh, to watch some of those games, and that's when you know some of the legends that you know the the game legends, Lapierre and and, and for Oriole baseball. Yep. Uh, I saw them play during those days, but I got hooked on those teams in the late 60s, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71. Yep. That were so great. Yep. Uh, and you know, I'm one of those guys. I'm loyal. And so I've stayed loyal to the birds through the uh, through the really good years. You know, Cal Ripken and coming back and making us into something, and some of the lean years that we've had most recently. So I love my birds. Yeah. Well, hey, and and as a as a long suffering Chicago Cubs fan, I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we have 2016, and and you know that's about it right now. Uh, but that well, you know, I'll say this. Marty, I don't know. I love Camden Yards, but there's no other ballpark in the country that I enjoy going to more than Wrigley Field, and I'm looking forward to getting back there. Yeah, it is. Uh, I've I've probably sat everywhere you can possibly sit in Wrigley, and that's uh, awesome. Um, I actually got a chance to go to Camden Yards. Uh, my my son's uh, eighth grade Washington D.C. trip. We we went down to Baltimore, uh, saw them play. I believe it was Cleveland that night. And uh, I loved it, man. And I'm a I'm, my my dad is a big ball card collector, um, and uh, so I sorted a lot of those Brooks Robinson, Frank uh, Frank Robinson, uh, Dave McNally, Jim Palmer, uh, Eddie Murray. Um, oh yeah, I, I memorized a lot of those uh, stats from the '79 tops and and that type of stuff. So uh, I can I can relate to it. And, and Camden was was really cool. That that was another you know cross it off the bucket list one that I wanted to check out and I was really fortunate. Absolutely. Absolutely. So second question that has literally nothing to do with basketball and I'm just going to read this and I'm going to read it word for word. I don't like to do this very often, but uh, I'm going to read this word for word and I'm going to really put you on the spot here, coach, because I know how near and dear this is to your heart. All right. Yes, sir. You're stuck on a desert island with your grill or your smoker. Pick whichever one you want. And you have an unlimited supply of one thing to grill or to smoke, but you're just limited to that one thing. What's it going to be? First of all, I'm taking my smoker. Okay. And second of all, it would be brisket. Okay. Love brisket. You can do a lot of different things with it, so I can uh, I can have still a variety of what uh, <laughs> of what I'm eating. So, <laughs> but great question, man. You know I love that. I'm a low and slow guy. Oh yeah. Hey, we're we're uh, my wife and I are, are going to go out and get our, uh, a new grill today. So we're excited. I think we're going to throw a couple steaks on there this evening. So uh, we're looking job. forward great. to. It. Yeah. So uh, again, it's a beautiful day in Omaha. It's about 65 degrees right now. So. Uh, we are digging it. So good. Uh, so, all right. Want to have an opportunity to have a hand, hands-on mentor to help you hone your craft as a basketball coach? Look no further than teachhoops.com, a place where coaches go to get better. Coach Steve Collins out of Madison, Wisconsin, shares his three decades of coaching knowledge with his subscribers through resources like podcasts, one-on-one mentoring sessions, and much more with teachhoops.com. Go to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. That's a pen and a napkin. Where subscriptions start at $34.99 a month. When you sign up, you get a 14-day free trial. So combine teachhoops.com with a pen and a napkin to help make you the best coach that you can be. Coach, a little bit ago, we were talking about Coach Meyer, and he is near and dear to our hearts here at A Pen and a Napkin. 
Um, normally at this time, when we switch from, from part one to part two, we have our Don Meyer quote of the day. And I usually pick, or I always pick something out beforehand, and then we give the quote and we talk about it. But I know that you and Coach Meyer were friends. You were very good friends. And, and for only the second time ever in a pen and a napkin podcasting history, we are not going to have a Don Meyer quote. I'm just going to let you riff about Coach Meyer and, and his influence and kind of going back uh, to the question that we had earlier about, you know, you being so willing to share your coaching philosophy and knowledge and, and, and coach Meyer might be the king of that. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just going to let you, let's, let's go back to coach Meyer and, and, and his influence on you. Well, undoubtedly coach, coach Meyer, uh, nobody gave more to coaches. Nobody gave back more to coaches than Mm -hmm. coach Tom Meyer. Um, he he really took me in. Um, it, you know that's a long story, so I'm not going to go through that whole deal. <laughs> but had the opportunity to to share time with him, to stay at his home. He stayed at my home. Um, you know, I've been a. I, I was I, I was an instant fan from the very first time I heard Coach speak mm-hmm. uh, because he talks about all the things. And he and Marty, he doesn't just talk about it. Coach Meyer lived it. Yeah, he, he walked he the walk. Yep. He he did. Um, you know, and as good as coach, a better person, mm-hmm. and just uh, a great influence to be around. And when you saw how he, no nobody, you know, you know. Sometimes I think we uh, coaching is a is a business a profession that egos get involved and that's part of it. I think one of the reasons that we, that many of us get involved in coaching is because of uh, our competitive nature, mm-hmm. which, which builds an ego. Coach Meyer had no ego. Um, he didn't care if you were, uh, you know, if you were a grade school coach down the road and you had a question or you were coach night attending his clinic, um, there was no question coming from anybody, nothing coming from anybody that he wouldn't give everything he had to help you. Um, uh, I, I just, again, I, I just don't know anybody that gave more back to the game than than what he has, and specifically two coaches. And the great thing about Coach Myers, he continues to give today, even mm-hmm. though we lost him several years ago. He, he continues to give today through his um, his DVDs, his 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 books, his um, you know his family has kept his website alive, mm-hmm. and uh, it has tons of resources on it. So it's just um, he was a good friend. Um, he was a good mentor. I, I really miss those days of being able to call up and say, Coach, how would you handle this ball screen? What would you do here? And, you know, that that would uh, ensue with a with a 35, 40-minute discussion. And, uh, and it might go any different direction. But I miss those days. And, you know, he was – we were truly blessed to have known him and for him to have given as much to us as he did. Can't say it any better, so I'm not even going to try. So, um, 
thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on, on, on Coach Meyer. I know sometimes when you when you go down memory lane and, and you talk about a close friend, that can be difficult. And, and I just appreciate your honesty there, Coach. Um, you are uh, – we're going to transition here to the uh, to the basketball nerd zone here. We're really going to dive in deep uh, uh, with your coaching philosophy and, and the stuff that, you, that you've done and developed over the years. Um, I want to start out with – uh, of course, a pack line, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. And maybe, uh, maybe I'm an idiot for not spending more time on this with you. But I want to kind of go into some other stuff with you. But I did want to sure. give you the opportunity uh, to to uh, you've got a ton of stuff out there about the the pack line defense and and even like a there's like a pack line course that you can take and 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 stuff. So I just want to give you a couple minutes to kind of plug those things before we kind of jump into to some other things that I wanted to talk about with you. Well, if, if anybody has an opportunity and they're interested, they can go to our website, which is coachjimboone.com. Uh, simply just coach, www.coachjimboone.com. And it's got anything that you'd want on there information-wise from the things that we have available for coaches. You know, that's you asked me that question, and that's one, one of the reasons that I have felt um, – very important and very passionate about giving back to coaches is the legacy that coach Meyer left with us. And, um, so anything we can do to help coaches, we've, you know, from our free coaches clinic that we run every fall, we even had it this past fall during COVID. Uh, we were able to work through our state's restrictions and, and have the clinic. It was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we and we're gonna we do that every fall, so we'll be having it again this year at some point. But you when do, when do you usually line. have that coach before I forget? Uh, it's usually the no, I'm glad you asked. It's the first or second weekend in October. Okay. And what we do is we start it on a Friday, um, early evening, uh, late afternoon with a practice, and then we have a lecture session covering something that we do. Um, after the uh, after the practice has concluded, we come back the next morning and we go through more of what we do and why we do it and how we do it and how to teach it. The great thing is we have our team there to help us demonstrate. Um, we go through another practice. Both practices are abbreviated because of the NCAA rules. Sure. Um, but they give us an opportunity to take coaches firsthand through our, our defense, how we develop it, our offense, how we develop it. And then I think the great thing for coaches is that any question you have, we'll answer to the best of our ability and we'll have our team there to help demonstrate. And I think that's just a unique opportunity that we offer that, that um, a lot of places do not. Mm-hmm. The You mentioned the Pipeline certification course, and I would only say that from this standpoint. I do believe – without question because of everything we put into it it is the absolute best thing we have out there on pack line defense and that's not to diminish any of our other uh resources that we have but the certification course covers everything from a to z it is a um, i think it's got something like over eight hours of video mm-hmm. it's got drills on video it's got game footage on video it's got instruction so it's yeah it's it's a really good um, I think it, it, it's it's something that if you're interested in pack line or even if you're just interested in defense it's it's a great resource and something I would highly recommend 
Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that, Coach. When when we get around to uh, when you get that scheduled, let me know. I'll plug it on my side as well, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get things rolling with that. So, And maybe if I'm really nice to my wife for the next four or five months, maybe she'll let me take a trip down to northwestern Arkansas and check out you and, and Coach Neighbors and Coach Musselman and all you guys down there. So... You know, it's been it's been amazing, uh, Coach. Our clinic we've had we've had coaches come from around the world. We've had coaches come from I think every state in the U.S. excluding Alaska and Hawaii. Those wow. are about the only two states we have not had coaches come from. And obviously, last year the you know our attendance was was low but was awesome. Uh-huh. But generally speaking, we'll have uh, anywhere from 125 to 250 coaches just depending on the year and when the timing uh falls out but yeah we love doing it it's great i think i think it's been really good awesome thank you yeah um i do want to talk about two things with you defensively uh before we get into your offensive stuff and i think these you know you know pack line zone man-to-man push baseline push sideline you know all those things are you know, that's up to your team and your own philosophy and, and your uh, what fits your team uh, for that season. Yes. Um, but I, I think there's one thing that is universal with, with any defense, and it becomes more and more important today as the court gets bigger. Uh, because of shooting range, because of spacing, we think of spacing much differently even now than we did five years ago. And that is closing out on the ball. And, and your, your defense, to, to me, I, I think I've spent more time on, on closeouts uh, the last few years than I ever have before in, in the sense of you've, you've got to win that one-on-one on defense, and in order for your spacing to work on offense, you've got to be able to draw two to the ball. And so you've got to be able to beat that closeout. Um, so I wanted to, to, to kind of pick your brain here and – for. I'm going to be selfish for my good a little bit, but of course it's for our listeners. Uh, but no, it's really for me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, just talk about your closeouts, your closeout philosophy. Maybe go into some drill work that you guys do uh, to teach closeouts at, at a quality level uh, to, to, to get your guys to, because that's where everything, to me, that's where everything starts at in your half-court defense, regardless of what you run. Well, you're you're a hundred percent correct, and it doesn't matter what your defensive approach is. You've got to be able to close out to the basketball. It is the hardest thing to do in today's game. Players are so proficient with the dribble, the um, they're so proficient with catch and shoot, and the officiating is changing more and more each and every day towards uh, creating offense and making it much more difficult on defense. So it is It is one of the, the absolute most difficult things to do. With that being said, I think it's something you have to work on daily. And I know a lot of times we say, well, we do this every day, and it's not really true. It's just, you know, we do this every day. Oh, yeah. No, no, you don't. But closeouts, we do every single day. Mm-hmm. Some type, some form whether it's a one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, closeout drill, um, I think it's imperative that you're working on closeouts. Two things, working on closeouts daily and guarding the basketball daily. Mm-hmm. Players need to understand, first of all, what what their limitations are. 
and they're going to know, uh, you know, okay, I'm closing out to a guy that's just a heck of a lot quicker than I am, and I cannot get too close to him because if I do, he's just going to blow right by me. That was I've me in every situation when I closed out when I was playing. So, <laughs> well, you're you're not alone, uh, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I think it's important that players understand that what their limitations are, and then secondly, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Uh, you know, nobody wants to consistently get beat. Uh, so they're going to figure out what they have to do to keep the ball in front of them and not get, not get beaten on that initial blow by. Now, without going into great detail in regards to drills, which I'd be happy to do, but it's a little bit more difficult on a podcast. Sure. I do think this, one of the best things that we've ever done is try to put your players in live situations to work on closeouts. In other words, if we're going to work on middle ball screen and we've got a pick and pop situation with the screener, then we're going to do our middle ball screen coverage. We're going to have a wing out there. That wing is going to have to stunt to that pick and pop player and then close out to his person. If the ball is being passed from the pick and pop to the wing and so that's a, that's that is that's replicating what you're going to do in the game, mm-hmm. and not just going out there and and it's don't get me wrong, I think it's great to teach it and isolate the skill. Here's what we're going to do in the closeout. Here it is one on one. This is how we're going to do it. Um, but then you've got to be able to do it in game situations and live situations. And the more things you can come up with that will replicate what you're going to see during your season and the angles, the positioning uh, that your players are going to have to have and how they're going to have to close out to get to the ball are are extremely important. The other thing I would say, uh, two things, is this. The, The two great, we say these are two of the most important things in our pack defense, is our ability to get on to off and off to on the ball. Now, we're not talking about getting on to off in this discussion. What we're talking about right now is being able to get from off to on. And you've got to be able to get to the ball. You've got to be able to get there quick. You've got to be able to bother the shooter. You cannot be someone who's just sticking a hand up. Shooters love that. You've got to be somebody that is bothering that shooter, is making them uncomfortable, making them change their shot. And then secondly... You've got to be able to guard the ball, and you've got to be able to do that in such a way that somehow, some way, you can make the ball uncomfortable and not allow that player with the basketball to play in his comfort zone, so to speak. Because if you do, players are too good in today's game. Now, therein lies the challenge, and it comes down, again, to closeouts. I I guess, lastly, what I would say is we still prescribe to the same method that we've used for all, I guess, 20, 25 years, and that is we're, we're going to sprint. We're going to break down those last step or two into choppy steps. Uh, it depends on who you're closing out to and how many choppy steps you're going to make, and that is imperative that you know that. And then we're closing out with two high hands. Now, a lot of guys like one high hand, and there's a lot of discussion out there for that. Um, hey, that whatever fits you is great for us. It's two high hands. That's what fits us. And 
We think that the two high hands allows us to be hard and short with our body, so we're ready to absorb the dribble and take away the immediate drive. Mm-hmm. But it is a uh, Marty. It's a challenge. It's yeah. a challenge, and so that's why I think it's something that has to be drilled daily. Yeah, where um, where do you like to put that in your practice plan? Your your closeouts. Uh, early, late, kind of mix it up. Uh, what's kind of the, the thought process there? We put them in early, and we like to do our defensive work early. Uh, you know, not that we don't ever shoot in our pre-practice, early practice segment, because we do at times. Not that we don't ever work on offensive fundamentals, because we do at times. But we're always going to have something defensively in the pre-practice uh, skill development part because building your defense is building skill. Uh, being able to guard the basketball is a skill. And, uh, you know, if you haven't recognized that as a coach, you're missing the boat. It is a skill. It can be taught. It can be improved. And so we're going to do something with that early on, uh, very early on. And then our closeout drills that we do, whether it's two-on-two, three-on-three, and I will give you this real quick. It's something we've done here in the spring, and I think it's been great. Most of us all know the three-on-three closeout drills that we do. We've been doing a lot of two-on-two closeout drills, and we'll put a guard in the high elbow, and we'll put a wing out there just somewhere between the uh, the baseline and the free-throw line extended. And we'll have two guys in paint and coach those the ball out, and we've got to now close out to those uh, two players. And we cannot allow... In our philosophy, we cannot allow the ball to beat us baseline or to beat us to the outside. We've got to be able to seal our gap and still get to the shooter. And it's really been um, incredibly beneficial to the improvement of our ability to guard the basketball one-on-one. So that's been really good for us. But those kind of drills we're going to do early in practice. And the reason being and the reason that we do those things in the skill development portion of practice with defense is because I want our players to know that defense is very important to us. It is a priority, mm-hmm. and that's why we do it first. Yep, yep. Let's move on from from that, and that's that's such that's such good stuff. And and um, I, I like the the on to off, off to on. Um, you know that's you know great way to think about it. There, uh, I think that's just you know key teaching points that type of thing. Um, when you are and again, every team is different. Uh, but let's talk about transition and your defensive transition. Um, you know, shot goes up. You know, God forbid you miss a shot or two along the way here, Coach. Um, you know, and that's what I tell my players on the first day. At some point, we're going to miss a shot this year, girls. So uh, here's what we got to do. <laughs> and uh, they kind of look at me like, you're you're crazy, coach. You know, but whatever. Um, but your your defensive transition philosophy, and and what are you doing in, in your uh, typical defensive transition? And again, I know you can adjust that from season to season. Um, but what are you guys looking to do? What are you teaching to your to your teams uh, to get some offensive board coverage? But also, you got to you got to protect your home base as well. Yes. Um... We, uh, we're, we're pretty standard year by year, uh, and it's dependent upon our players' abilities. But we are uh, going to at least have 
two players are designated as get-back players. So on the rise of the shot, they are initiating their movement to get back on defense. When it is clear that we are not getting that shot, then they are sprinting, one getting to uh, the rim and then the lane line that the side of the ball is coming down, the other one getting to the heat-up line, which is about um, perpendicular to the baseline where the coach's box would be. So, you know, maybe just right around where a volleyball line would be on the court, uh, probably three to four steps uh, above the um, uh, three-point arc. That's our point of pickup. Uh, back in the day, we used to pick up at half court. It's almost impossible to do that in today's game. Uh, so we've uh, we've brought that back a little bit, and we, uh, we do it at the heat-up line. I want those two players getting back on the rise of the shot because I want a head start in getting back. Now, the next question would be, okay, who do you determine your get-back guys are? Well, normally speaking, it's going to be two guards. Mm -hmm. But we're going to take our team and we're going to line them up. And we'll do this within the first week or two of practice. You're a get-back guy. You're a get-back guy. You're a rebounder. You're a rebounder. You're a get-back guy. You're a get-back guy. Now, I can tell you that we will, again, we will never have more than three rebounders in the lineup at one time. We will always have at least two get-back guys. But we could have three, four, even five get-back guys in the lineup at the same time, depending upon time, score, and who we're playing. Mm -hmm. Now, normally speaking, you've got two guys getting back. We've got three guys getting the glass. Those three guys are going to crash. They know that's their responsibility. It doesn't matter where they're at on the court. Uh, we're not doing it by positioning. We're doing it by who you are. Mm -hmm. So those three guys know their job is to go rebound. And I think that helps to make them better because there's no indecision about do I rebound here or do I get back here. They know who they are. So once the uh, opponent has secured the rebound and those three guys, they're turning and they're getting back on defense. We want them to run like their hair's on fire. And those first three steps are the most critical we run without any vision. We're not worried about that. You turn and go. And after those three steps, you can you can look over your shoulder and start trying to find the basketball and go from there. Mm -hmm. We are a team. It is going to build from the inside out. We've made that decision already. I know a lot of people, well, they shoot the – well, that's fine. But we're not giving up layups. Mm -hmm. We've made that decision before we ever took the practice floor that we're not giving up layups. So if we're going to build from the inside out. And, and go from there. Yep. But that is our basic alignment in terms of getting back and who gets there and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. Sometimes we get so caught up in the three-point shot and, and taking away the three, but if you really study the analytics of the game, you're going to get beat more often by, by – I mean, you take a look at Gonzaga this year. Uh, they uh, They were explosive on offense because they had – and they were so efficient on offense because they had the most – the highest percentage of layups in, in Division One, as an example. And we don't, at the high school level, obviously, we don't have as much access to the analytics or the time to break down the analytics the same way those guys do. Uh, but I think it's so very important that we're not giving up layups. If we give up jump shots, then we live with, with challenge jump shots, especially if they're off the bounce. But we're not giving up layups. And I think that's so important to drill into your kids. Don't you think, Coach? Amen. Couldn't say it better. All right, so now we're even on the couldn't say it betters. All right, we're one and one. So, <laughs> um, 
Let's jump into some offensive stuff here. Uh, you doing okay for time, Coach? I'm great. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you're a motion guy. Uh, uh, done, done a lot of stuff with motion. Like I said, you, you've got your influences with Bobby Knight, with Dick Bennett, and the blocker mover offensive stuff. Um, just, again, just kind of go into your, your thoughts with, with motion and, and maybe, you know, I, like I said, I know you've ran some blocker mover uh, in the past. Um, you know, and, and again, just like with your defense, your offense, you're going to match up what you what you do well, uh, your, what your kids do well with what you run uh, offensively. Uh, but how do you guys teach your motion? What do you guys teach? What are you emphasizing when you're breaking down your drills? That type of stuff. Well, great, great. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Good questions. Um, I've always been a motion guy, and the reason I've love motion is because of, of a number of reasons. Number one, um, it's based upon fundamentals and teaching kids how to play. And I'm very much a proponent. I would rather have, I'd rather have players that, that become better players in March than running two different plays in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is the predominance of our offensive work is the development of a fundamental skills of our players. Secondly, I want, I, I wanted an offense that I didn't have to sit there and and pull the strings all the time on where we're going to uh-huh. go, how we're going to go, how we're going to get there. I wanted our players to be able to make decisions and have the ability to make those decisions. And uh, I guess for a better way to say it is empower them to have that ability. So with those things being said motion was was huge for us and that's all we ran probably the first i don't know 20 years of my uh of my coaching career the as we got later into it and we went to delta state uh where recruiting junior college players became of paramount importance because our state had 15 junior colleges in it Mm -hmm. and they were all offering full scholarships. And so most every high school kid that could, you know, chew bubble gum and walk went junior college before they would go to division two because they were being sold the dream of division one, which I get. Yep. So I like that. Yeah. And, and if you're, if you're a Juco coach, that's a great way to sell it, you know, and, and absolutely. Yeah. So you, absolutely. you, you can't blame them. So you, adju- you adapt. No. And, and, and again, for the second time, necessity is the mother of invention. So absolutely. Yep. So well, the reason that we went to blocker mover, because it still maintained all the great things that I loved about motion offense, decision-making, um, fundamental skill development, an offense that flows as opposed to running set plays or continuity. Um, and it, it, it eliminated some of the teaching curve. It shortened the teaching curve is a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. And so with that being said, uh, we really dove deep into the blocker mover. And what happened with that is we found out a couple of things uh, because the learning curve isn't as great, the teaching time is less, we can spend more time on the fundamentals and our defensive approach and less time on trying to develop our offense through a lot of three-on-three, four-on-four uh-huh. work. Mm-hmm. And that has been extremely beneficial to us. And even though now we're in a situation where we can recruit um, uh, high school kids, 
to be the predominant part of our program. Uh, I think all the attributes that I just named, the ability to spend more time with our defensive approach and to create an offense that is a little bit, that the roles have been predetermined to some respect, uh, has been very beneficial for us and something that we've stuck with. But still maintaining uh, what we loved about motion offense in the regarding uh, reading defense, making decisions, and fundamental skill development. Mm-hmm. What what are some things that you do? Because I, I think that's a, a quandary of of high school coaches, and especially I, I'll go down this uh, rabbit hole uh, as as a guy who has coached uh, girls basketball. Uh, we would we would love to do that uh, with the motion. And, and girls are much better at just playing ball because they just play ball more now than they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that type of a thing. Uh, but then you get frustrated because, you know, they don't understand spacing. They, they okay, when the ball goes here, I should read this like this and, and so forth and so on. And, and so by default, a lot of coaches, especially high school coaches, they, they try to come up with a, a set uh, – philosophy uh, or a set offense a pattern offense whether you know i'll go old school you know flex or a three out two in or whatever it may be so so what do you uh what do you recommend for coaches who just want to teach their kids just how to play and how to make reads and and what are some things that you do to to help teach your guys because i'm sure your guys come in you've got guys that come in that that you've got to teach those basic things too even though you know they can uh, you know they, they, you don't feel like they should have to adapt to it, but you're teaching them that and, and what you want out of your motion look. Uh, what, are, what are some things that you guys do there uh, to, to help teach the game in that regard? No, we sure do. And, um, you know, when I talk about fundamentals, those are the things that I'm talking about. And we, we are very specific in how we want to screen, um, where those screens are going to be set how our cutters are supposed to or how we would like for them to get to the screen and then read the screen and what their keys are in reading the screen. We're going to do that with some, uh, not as much as we did when we were motion, but we'll do that with some early uh, two-on-two work, uh, possibly a little bit of three-on-three. And then we do quite a bit of four-on-four with uh, two uh, primary screeners and two primary cutters. And then the best thing that we do is um, is five on five, mm-hmm. and I didn't used to be that way, but five on five is the best thing that we do because that's how the game is played, and it teaches our players how to play with each other, and how to figure out spacing, and how to and all the things that you alluded to, which are obviously issues with offense. Mm-hmm. Now, in our blocker mover approach. Um, and if anybody's interested in seeing what we do there, we do have a YouTube video that goes through our offense, which, by the way, is is the very same offense that Virginia was running that they called sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of adopted that from them and and Tony Bennett, Coach Bennett's son. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the YouTube video, if you just go, I think it's under Delta State Pairs Offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call our say rather than calling ours, um, rather than calling it sides, we call it pairs because you're paired up with a screener and cutter. Um, so any, anyway, um, 
those are running that five, and it is it's Delta State motion offense pairs alignment. I just looked it up. Okay, but the um, uh, uh, but running that five on will run at five on O quite a bit, mm-hmm. and so our screeners know they know they know where they're located on the floor. They know where to go screen. They know the type of screen. So what we've designated is is who you are, you're a screener, where you're going to screen at on the floor, and what kind of screens you're going to set. Mm -hmm. So then the big thing becomes on our screeners understanding that they too are scorers. They're not just out there to screen, but they're there to score as well. And how can they score? And obviously that's dependent in large part. And another reason that that one of the motion elements coming into play here that you you can build your offense around your players' abilities, and not try to plug people in you know the proverbial round peg into the square hole. Mm-hmm. When you're going five on zero, how, how much are you letting them flow and figuring it out? How much are you you know? There's a bunch of stops and a bunch of starts here to explain stuff, you know, or is it just kind of by feel and and every team is different? Um, great question. In our approach, particularly with our um, our pairs alignment, we, we kind of teach it in layers. And that first layer is is teaching the fundamentals and teaching the movement that is involved in it. And that base movement is where we start. That gives them – we've kind of taken – and it's a little bit difficult to describe over a podcast, but mm-hmm. what we've done is we've taken our cutters and we've kind of placed them on tracks. So wherever the ball is located tells them where to go mm-hmm. for the next screen. And the thing that we've enjoyed with that is one of the fallacies of motion was that we always seem to never get the ball where the open man was. And even though that's a priority, take the ball to the action, it just didn't happen. But in this approach, we play in in a progression with the ball. And so we're looking towards our flare screen cutter, flare screen screener. That's progression one. If that's not there, progression two is our pin down cutter and screener. And if that's not there, progression three is our flare screen setting a re-screen for his cutter. And so by having the ball centered and not necessarily in the middle of the floor, but between the two actions, we have two simultaneous actions going on and we have the ball always looking at the open man. So we get away from that thing that we, we experienced at times in motion, particularly with inexperienced teams where they didn't get the ball to the action in time to deliver the right pass. So, so that's been a big help for us. But you, you get back to your question, uh, Marty. It's it's the the five will know. We give them a base movement, and then from there, uh, we we want them to. I think you kind of hit on it. We want them to be players. I don't want them to be robots. Mm-hmm. I want them to start figuring it out. You know, I can basket cut here. I can I can change direction here. I'm being topped off of this down screen, so I'm going to back cut it and go off the other side. Um, and, and they'll figure that out as they go along. And that's where I think really the five on five comes into play and that, um, they start realizing that basically offense is a game of tag 
and you're trying to get away from your def- your defensive man. You're <laughs> trying to create an angle. You're trying to create an angle coming off of a screen or a cut so that you now have an advantage. We we don't have players that are necessarily blessed with great quickness. We've got some outstanding shooters. Um, and so they, they've got to understand their advantage is creating an angle coming off of a screen as opposed to just taking the ball and being able to blow by somebody. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy. It's a game of tag. It's a game of tag. Uh, I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm officially stealing that from you, Coach. So, well, that's great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I uh, guarantee you I got it from somebody else, too. So. <laughs> hey, we're all either replicators or innovators, and, and I am a there replicator. I am a replicator. Uh, coach, any social media? Uh, you, you've got a great Twitter follow. Uh, before you even give it, I'm going to tell folks, follow it. Get on there. So many good things. But social media anything you want to plug for your program oh first of all thank you marty this has been awesome i enjoy talking basketball um i mean our twitter account yeah you mentioned that and that's just coach jim boone uh at coach jim boone we also have the same thing on instagram coach jim boone and then i mentioned our website early at www.coachjimboone and um dot com you can uh, you can find us on any of those um, platforms, and I always tell coaches, you know, feel free to email me, and I usually give my university um, email address, uh, so I'll give it, which is just Jim dot Boone at uafs dot edu. So Jim dot Boone at uafs dot edu, but my personal one is Coach. JL Boone 13 at gmail.com. So coach uh, JL Boone 13 at gmail.com. And any things that we can help you with, if you have a question, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And if we can help you in any way, we're, we're more than happy to do that. Terrific, terrific stuff. Coach, this is, it's been a thrill, it's been an honor. Uh, so many firsts here today. Our first outside podcast. I feel like Harry Carey sitting out in the bleachers in 1984. Uh, we fought through barking dogs. Uh, my neighbor, three houses down, of course, decides to mow his lawn right in the middle of the podcast. Uh, so he should have known that I was doing this. But hey, that's okay. I'm not going to hold it against him. Uh, it's the first time we've talked Baltimore Orioles or barbecuing on the pod. So so many firsts. Here today on the podcast, <laughs> I think it's awesome. Yeah, I, I I hope you enjoyed your time. I thoroughly enjoyed my time, Marty. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate all all that you're doing for coaches, and good luck with your team. And um, thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. Hold the line real quick here, and uh, I'll read off a couple of things, and we'll wrap things up if you don't mind, uh, Coach. Uh, sure. All right. Uh, of course, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic, for sponsoring the pod. Uh, subscribe to teachhoops.com backslash A-P-A-A-N. It's a 14-day free trial, so give teachhoops a try here. Don't forget about the Coaches Clinic here at Fort Calhoun High School, 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha, Saturday, May the 1st, 2021 here. Again, follow uh, our Twitter handle, at a pen and a napkin, and try to put out daily coaching stuff on that one. Download, rate, and review the pod. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail. My name is Marty Plum. I have been so thankful for the time and the knowledge of Coach Jim Boone, head men's basketball coach at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. Coaches, 
As always, let's stay safe, let's pray for peace, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.